Why would I be called in during a business negotiation? Kaya. My father paused, placing the document face down on the desk. He sat on a nearby chair, giving me the faint impression that he was sinking into the tiled floor. He gazed at his palms, as if searching there for words. What is it, father? Is it Akum? Have you heard something? My pulse began to thrum with concern for my betrothed, who was away on a military expedition. No, it's not Akum. He dragged in a quivering breath. His eyes flicked to mine, but then away, as if he was afraid to meet my curious gaze. Shefu, he raked his fingers across his scalp. Shefu is here to take you with him. Panic rose in my throat as I tried to decipher his statement. Take me where? I looked back and forth between the two men, but neither of them would meet my eye. My stomach hollowed, and alarm screeched in my brain. Father, tell me, where is Shefu taking me? After a few agonizing moments of silence, my father's words broke free, flooding out in a rush. I am ruined. My boats, all of them, sank in the northern sea. I did what I could to avoid this, but everything. He rubbed the back of his neck and swallowed hard. Everything we own will be auctioned off to pay my obligations. I owe Shefu for the five boats I purchased last year, among other things. My father looked me straight in the eye for the first time in years. This is the only way, to protect your mother and Jumo from being sold as well. I have no choice. A blur of colors and a torrent of swirling sounds met my senses. I staggered backward, shaking my head, blinking away the cloud of confusion that threatened my sight. My hip knocked into a marble-topped shrine table near the doorway, causing a large cow-headed carving of Hathor to tip. She fell, clanking into another idol, which toppled into another, which in turn knocked a golden image of Ra onto the stone floor, his sun-crowned head splitting from his body and his hooked scepter scattering into pieces. The other statues followed suit until not one god stood intact. Shards and splinters littered the tiles. I turned from the tragedy, meaning to run, but the truth crashed over me like a wave and my knees gave way. Arms over my head, I called for my mother, over and over, through choking sobs. But it was Salima, my handmaid, who lifted me from the floor, her dark eyes pooling with tears and led me back to my own room by the hand. She removed my wig, soaked through with sweat from our excursion to the market that morning. Then she washed my face and head with cool water she had retrieved from the Nile long before I had awakened. After she dressed me in a shift woven from fine linen but simple in design and reapplied my coal, Salima placed her warm brown hands on either side of my face. Since my seventh year, 
Salima had bathed me, groomed me, applied cold to my eyes, and dressed me in gowns and wigs. Although only a few years older than me, she'd endured my childish impatience and fits of temper without a shadow of bitterness ever crossing her face. And now, for the first time since my father had gifted her to me, she stared directly into my eyes with her luminous dark ones. At times, I had glimpsed a depth of wisdom in those eyes that made me wonder what her life might have been before she became my handmaid. But I had never asked. Why had I never asked? Salima leaned her forehead against mine and whispered something in a language I did not recognize. But the music of it washed over me, leaving behind an impossible calm and a surprising clarity.